Hi, and welcome to eTalma 2.0. We're going to start today on the bottom of 5b, but 11 lines up, because that really begins the start of a new, kind of a new idea. So 11 lines up on the on, on 5b from the bottom. V'sada um, shenecharash, from the words v'sada shenecharash. Um, and then we'll continue on and finish 6a as well. So let's start. So basically... Um, Rav Papa had come to the conclusion that you don't need to mark a field in which a grave was plowed over. So now we're going to ask about that. Is that really the case? Are you saying that a field that was that had a grave that was plowed over, that it does not require a marking? But didn't we learn in Abraisa? If you come across a marked field whose nature is unknown, meaning one of two things would have happened. Either it has a plowed over grave, or it has a grave that's intact, but it's lost. We don't know where it is. So, and there's big differences between those two, right? Um, if, you'd if it's a field that has a plowed over grave, you're allowed to cross over that field um, and just blow away um, the path that you're walking on. And you can feel confident that you have exited without coming in contact with Tuma, with ritual impurity. Whereas if it's a grave that is lost there, but it's intact, then you always will have to worry that perhaps you came, you went, you you contracted Tuma, uh, ritual impurity. So how do we know? Are there any indicators to let us know what type of field it is, why the marking is there? So we say that if there are trees in the field, then you could assume that the marker is telling you that a grave was plowed over in it. Because if there's trees, it must mean that it was plowed for the trees. Um, and what happened was, is that it was a plowed over, it was a field that had been, um, the grave had been plowed over. And if there was no trees, then you will, then you would have to assume that it's that the that there is a lost grave, a lost but intact grave inside the field. And just just so we understand, when we talk about these trees being an indicator that the grave was plowed over, you can obviously ask the question that who said maybe the maybe there's a grave that was intact. And the trees were there because it was plowed prior, but ever since the grave was put there, never again was it plowed. So for that, we explain and we answer that we're talking about trees that in order for them to exist, they require regular plowing. So then we would assume that uh, um, that this must be the type of field that had a grave plowed over prior, um, not that it had an intact grave. Okay. Not that it has an intact grave. Uh, Rabbi Huda Omar Rabbi Huda says no. You have to assume that it's a field that has an intact but lost grave, um, unless there is an elder or a sage um, who will tell you that it was a plowed over field. Because not everyone is expert in this matter. In other words, only an elder or a sage would would pay enough attention to something trivial like this, whether this, this field has been plowed or not, understanding the ramifications, so only they could attest to whether this was a plowed over field or whether you have to assume it has, it was never plowed over, it's not a plowed over field, um, and it actually has a lost but intact grave inside of it. 
Amarav Papa, Papa says. So, so what do we see though? Nonetheless, we do see though that you would put a marker even for a field that contains a plowed over grave, and that would seem to contradict Rav Papa. So Amarav Papa, Rav Papa is going to answer Kitanya Hihi. This brisa that seems to suggest a marker for a plowed over grave, that's Besada Sha'avad Ba'kever Ditsinuha. It's regarding a field in which an intact grave was lost so that they immediately went and marked it. So there was an intact grave, and then they marked it. And now we want to know, has the field since been plowed over or not? So if, if it's, we want to know if it's since been plowed over, then we say, If there are trees in the field, it's known that the grave was plowed over. If there are no trees in the field, it's known that the grave is still intact and remains lost in it. So basically what we're saying is, is that if we know that a field is plowed over, um, a grave is plowed over, we don't need to put a marker. The case here is that we put a marker because originally there was a lost but intact grave. And now we're wondering um, do if, if that lost and intact grave has since been plowed over, and that's when the trees are an indicator. But now we're gonna ask, but let's be concerned that the trees are not a good indicator. Perhaps the trees are on the interior part of the field and the grave is on the exterior part. Um, which would mean that the area of the grave was not plowed over, and therefore we would have no good indication that this is a plowed over field. So how can trees be a good indication? So we say, Amar Ula, so Ula, it's, it's like Ula responded or explained in a different situation, but Omdin al Hagvulan, that we're dealing with trees that are on the boundaries of the field. Hachanami, but Omdin al Hagvulan. So to here we'll say that the case that we're talking about is where the trees are on the boundaries of the field. And, um, and which would mean that obviously the grave is not located outside of the trees because the trees are on the boundary, outer boundary of the fields. So the Gemara is going to ask the obvious question, the Dilma Tuma but perhaps the Tuma, the grave is in the interior portion of the field and the trees are in its exterior portion. So for that we say, so obviously the case is, is where the trees are intertwined over the entire field and therefore they do pose a good indicator. Or if you want, I can say, Didn't we say that we do not distance the marker from the location of the Tumah in order not to waste any land of Israel? Um, you put the marker as close as possible to the actual source of Tumah. And so we say that since the marker is found near the trees, we can be certain that the grave was plowed over. Okay, so that got us through that part. And now we're going to... Um, now we're going to quickly just look at one little point that we had mentioned, and then we're going to go a little bit further. Rabbi Huda Omer Buddha had said, We have to assume that the, there's an intact but lost grave in the field unless there's an elder um, sage or a Torah student in that place who can say that it was plowed. Because not everyone is expert in the matter. Amr Abayi says, Shmamino, we learn from this that Surba Mirabanan di Ikabamasa, that when there's a young Torah scholar in a city, Komili Damasa Ale Ramya. All of the city's matters are incumbent upon him. All of the city's matters are incumbent upon him. Um, in other words, he basically will be. Um, knowledgeable and make sure he's knowledgeable in all areas because every single area could potentially have ramifications in Jewish law. Okay, next. Amar Vyuda Vyuda said, if you found a single stone that is marked with lime, remember lime is the way we mark um, ritual impurity. So the area directly beneath the stone is if you found two such stones, 
that are both marked with lime. If there's lime on the ground between the stones, the area between them is tame. But if there's no lime between the stones, then the area between them is tahar, and only directly underneath both of them is tame. Now we ask, um, So now the Gemara is going to ask, Does this mean that even though there's no indication of plowing having been done between the stones, the area is tahor if there's no lime between the stones? If you find a single marked stone, if you find a single marked stone, underneath it is tameh, but if you find two, if there's an indication of plowing having been done between the stones, then between them is pure, is tahor. But if not, if there's no indication of plowing, then we say that between them is actually tummy. So even if there's no line between the stones, we see this b'risa very clearly telling us that if there's no indication of plowing, then we assume that between the stones is tummy. Obviously, if there's indication of plowing, then we say that the plow would have would have ground up whatever ritual impurity there is, and we wouldn't have to worry about it any longer. So that's the question. So Amar Pabra Pabra says, Hacha. Here, the b'risa, here, Hacha means here. So here, in the b'risa, which says that it all depends on an indication of plowing, that's where the lime was poured on the tops of the stones, and it spread thinly here and there. So it spread thinly between the stones. So it seems to have fallen off from the tops of the stones. So in that scenario, we say, if there's an indication of plowing between them, then the area between them is tahar. Because then we'll say that it's due to the plowing that the lime was peeled from the stones and fell between them. Um, but if the land between the stones has not been plowed, there's no indication of plowing, then we assume Sid de We assume that the lime that belongs. We assume that if we see lime that has kind of dripped off of the stones, we assume that that lime was really meant to indicate um, tuma that exists between the stones, and therefore the whole thing is going to be tummy. But if there's no line between the stones, then we say that it's tahar, even though it has been plied, plowed, uh, even if there is indication, um, even if there is no indication of plowing, as Rabbi Huda had ruled. Omar Abasi, Rabasi said, if you have one boundary strip of a field marked for tuma, this means that it's tame, but the rest of the field is tahor. Okay. But if two of the field's boundary strips are marked, then we say that they are Tame, the rest of the field is Tar. So if three boundary strips are marked, Haim Tame, and they're all Tame, but the rest of the field is Tar. Only directly underneath the boundary strips is Tame. Arba, um, if it's four though, if all four boundary strips are marked Tuma, Haim Tahor, and then we say that they, the boundary strips themselves, are underneath them are Tahor, and the entire field that surrounds it, that they surround, is Tame. The Omar Mark, his master said, Tuma, we don't want to distance the marker from the location of the Tuma. Shall so as not to waste any land in Israel. So we basically assume that the marker itself is not Tame, but everything within it, the markers, is Tame. 
Okay, now we're going to analyze the next part of our Mishnah that says, We say the agents of the basin, the agents of the court, go out to inspect fields for Kalayim. What are Kalayim? Again, Kalayim are forbidden mixtures of planting um, that are forbidden. It's an intermingling of, plant, of, 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 of different species. So now the Gemara is going to ask as follows. Because what the way the Gemara is going to understand this is that agents are sent out to check for Kalayim and uproot Kalayim, right? So back then it was very interesting. There was a Kalayim police and they would make sure to uproot any Kalayim that you had um, that you had planted. Now we say, do they really go out to inspect Kalayim on Chol Hamoid? On Chol Hamoid, the intermediate days of Pesach? Or a mini, but didn't we learn in the following Mishnah as follows? On the first of the month of Adar, the month of Purim, the court proclaims, um, reminding everyone to give their half shekel coin for the upkeep of the um, of the temple, um, which was the due date was the first of Nisan, so they announced it 30 days prior. And the Al Haklaim. And also, because this was the planting period, they would remind everyone not to plant forbidden mixtures. The Chamisha Aserbon on the 15th day of the month of Adar, Karanisa Megillah Bakrachim, they would read the scroll, the Megillah of Esther, which we read on Purim. They would read it on the 15th day of Adar um, in Krachim, in areas that, in cities that were surrounded by walled cities from the times of Joshua, from the times that Jewish people entered the land of Israel from the desert coming out of Egypt. And they also go out to clear thorns from the roads and repair the streets to get it all ready to work to kind of take care of the winter, um, all the winter um, damage that was done, so that people could properly get to the temple for the 15th for the Pesach festival. The Lamod Hamikvos, and they also go out to measure the ritual baths and ensure that they contain the proper amount of water. And they attend to all the public needs. And they mark the graves. And they go out to inspect the fields for Kalayim. So we see that this was done on the 15th of Adar. So why does our Mishnah say that it was done during Cholamoy Pesach, which would be one month later? So Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yosi Barchanino, Rabbi Lazar and Yosi Barchanino, they explain. Chad Omar, one of them says, The Mishnah is talking about an early crop that they would go out to inspect. The early crops, Kalayim. On the 15th of Adar, and Kamba Afil, and what we have in our Mishnah going out on Cholamoy Pesach, that would be done for the late crops. The Chadam on the other one said, Kamba Zerayin, Kamba Here the Mishnah deals with grains, whereas here it deals with vegetables. Vegetables um, uh, uh, come out later, and therefore that's what would be, they, you would look for forbidden mixtures among vegetables during the Cholamoy Pesach, and you look for forbidden mixtures of grain on the 15th of Adar. Okay. We only say that agents go out to inspect the crops on the 15th of Adar, or Cholomoy Pesach, meaning no earlier than that, only in a season when their sprouts are not recognizable before these dates. But if their sprouts are recognizable earlier, they should go out immediately, immediately upon recognizing the sprouts. So now the question is, what's special about Chol HaMoed? Why do we, specifically, that we send people out to go and expect for Klayim? Why don't they go before or after Pesach? Why specifically during the intermediate days? Rabbi Yaakov said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, it's to save money. It's because of the 
inspector's wages, which they reduce when they get a job on Cholamoid. In other words, people don't work on Cholamoid in general because most type of work on Cholamoid is forbidden. So there would be a lot of um, a lot of people that would be looking for work on Cholamoid, and there was much more, many more um, workers available than jobs. So therefore, you can get away with paying them much less to take this inspecting job, and it would save the Jewish community a lot of money. So said, and some say it was Rav now we learn from this, the fact that we're trying to save money, that when we pay the inspector's wages, we're paying them from funds coming from the chamber of the temple treasury. In other words, from the Jewish community's um, communal pot. Because if we if it would enter your mind that we say that it, that they have to pay, who's they? The people that the inspectors find to be in transgression, and then they uproot it, and then they basically say you owe us money for this job. If that was how we would, if that is how this worked, my nafko aminahu, what difference does it make to us um, when it comes to to payment? To saving money, whatever the inspectors request should be given to them by the people that are transgressing. Obviously, from the fact that we're trying to save money, it must be that it's coming from the Jewish communal, the communal pot. Okay, we'll stop here. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.